You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and today I sit down with Armando Cruz. Armando is a certified and licensed physical therapist. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's got his master's in physical therapy, a bachelor's in exercise and sports science with a focus in athletic training. He's a running technique specialist. He's the creator of the Run Faster and Injury Free System. And he's also a marathon coach. So clearly, uh, Armando is a physical athlete and long-distance runner. Um, I'm intrigued by the mindset that it creates to do that. He actually recently did a 100-mile race, and uh, that sort of spurred this call and this this podcast episode because I wanted to find out what lessons he learned, what challenges he faced. Um, but in addition to that, he we kind of have a kindred spirit. He's an adrenaline drunk junkie. Um, he has lived out of his car for three months and run all the national parks, running into the wildlife there. Um, he has, as I mentioned, run over 100 miles in a uh, in a race, um, he surfed during a hurricane. He slept on the ledge of a cliff. He's been rock climbing, to name a few. Um, but he's also a family man, and so um, in addition to all those things, he's been coaching a lot, and uh, he's coached high level CEOs, multi million entrepreneurs, professional athletes, Marines, firefighters, SWAT team members, and uh, he's just got a lot of wealth of information to share. And I invited him onto the podcast for that reason. So. Um, Enjoy this call. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. Let me know what you think as well. And if you haven't done so, if you would please go to iTunes and leave a review on the podcast and let me know what you think, that would be great. I really appreciate that. You can also um, subscribe to the podcast if you go to your mobile device and open your podcast app. You can subscribe to the PK Experience there. You may need to search for it and do a search for PK Experience. Um, Sometimes it shows up if you put it all in one word. Sometimes you have to space it out. But um, downloading it, uh, subscribing to it, leaving reviews is really helpful for me to help expand the footprint of this so that I can share more of these amazing interviews with other people. I'm very motivated to share the genius of these people with more people. And so that's ultimately my desire with that. But uh, enough of that. Why don't we get into the call? Here I am with Armando Cruz. All right. I am here with Armando Cruz. Armando, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Thank you for taking the time to be on the call today. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit more. We've gotten to know each other a little bit but uh, over the last few years, but I'd like to really kind of get more into your mind and figure out how you do what you do and what you're doing and how that's helping other people making the world a better place. So first and foremost, thanks again for, for being on the call. Thanks, man. It's always fun uh, to, to be able to record some of these conversations that we get to have. So it, you know, it's a little, it's, it definitely is. Do you ever stop and think about like, this is for eternity. Like your great, great, great grandkids might listen to this call. You know what I mean? You ever think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's part of the, the, the thing that, has become a lot more apparent in this generation day and time. I mean, think of, you know, there, there are all these, uh, what is it? Somebody posted a meme about, you know, kind of like when, when we look back, back in the day about our grandparents and, you know, the pictures that you see them, they're like black and white, like there's serious pictures. And, you know, the, the thought is, you know, the grandchildren or great, great grandchildren. And they're like, Oh, look, that was your, uh, that was your great, great grandfather or great, great grandmother. And it's like all these filters with that. You look like a unicorn or something <laughs> stupid like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's got, it's good and it's bad. 
because everything gets recorded now in such a in such a disposable manner like yeah. that we don't even think about it like when i was growing up i remember taking a picture it's like you had 12 or 24 and if you were really good maybe you had the 36 right but that was it like you got to make them count yeah like you don't just you know shoot 10 of the same ones and like 10 selfies like the selfie thing is a function of of uh, of it, it not matter capabilities <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. It's an infinite photo capability. So, yes, do I think about it? Yes, um, as a as an archive of hopefully some great content. <laughs> right. Uh, in this particular case, so uh, those excite me when we get to have uh, deeper conversations about uh, about stuff. Yeah, and for those who are too young to know what Armando and I are talking about, there was a time when you actually had film and you had to take pictures and you only had so many pictures. And like Armando, you were saying, you could get film that, because honestly, some people listening to this may not know what you're talking about. You had film <laughs> where you had the capability to take 12 pictures, 24 right. and 36. And we were right. just talking before we started recording uh, about summer camp. I remember going to summer camp as a kid and getting the little, you know, Back then, the coolest thing was the disposable camera because as a kid, I never could touch the actual camera because that was too expensive. And, right. you know, that's <laughs> mom and dad handled that. So to, for me to have my own camera was a huge deal. And yeah, and you only had 12 pictures and you had two weeks at camp. So you had to make sure that those pictures were right. Creme de la creme. I mean, you know, right. come on, guys, make the, you know, flex because this is going to be, this is history right now that we're capturing and then you gotta and then you gotta pray that it also comes out you know at the end of the day like oh no, yes picture. it's just as a surprise like once you get it which is it was actually kind of fun uh the anticipation i was just thinking about that yesterday how we've lost a little bit of that i was watching um so i'm i'm from st louis our uh st louis blues hockey team won the stanley cup championship this last weekend and I remember thinking about huge sporting events like that when I was a kid and how exciting it was to get the magazine, you know, Sports Illustrated, that next episode or whatever, where uh, it had all the amazing photography right. of, the, of the save and of the cool shot. And, you know, now you're, you're all watching it in real time. You're going online and you're seeing, you know, the photos and the, and the reviews and the videos right away. But that anticipation is lost or, you know, the... I was talking about this again this weekend with a friend about the the new show that's coming up. Oh, she was watching the uh, Game of Thrones finale because she still hadn't seen it. And I was like, yeah, there was a time when you actually had to wait for the show and everybody would talk about it and you'd you know, build up <laughs> anticipation and you'd have watch parties. We've kind of lost that. We don't have that. I mean, obviously we have different things, but right. yeah, the nostalgia yeah. of <laughs> right. having to wait for something. What? Yeah, yeah. exactly. But look, that, I think that's beauty. That's part of the beauty of nostalgia. And every generation has its nostalgia. Right. And it, it would be doing a disservice to think that, oh, it was better. Yeah, some things are better. Some, some relationships are better because uh, back then because there was more presence. But at the same time, there's so much better now yeah. because of the technology. Yeah. Every generation deals with its own thing. And, you know, our kids' generation later on, or the, my grandchildren's generation, something new. And oh, I think they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna go. I told my kids this because we had the conversation one time, and they're like, "Dad, what are we gonna think back on?" I'm like, "A hundred percent, you're gonna look back and go, remember when you had to drive cars? That was so no. cool. You yeah. had 
you got you got to you know you planned something or or you know you had a like a, a spontaneous you know idea to go somewhere you could just go and then and I you'll they'll also say um, that was so dangerous I can't believe people drove cars back then that <laughs> I, are you crazy you know what <laughs> what if true. what if somebody was drunk or what if somebody you know wasn't a good person or what you just allow them to get behind a wheel in a cart. That's crazy. You know, they're going to be talking about that. Yeah. I, that, that's, you're a hundred percent right. I, yeah. you're, that's definitely going to be a conversation at some point. <laughs> um, well, for those that don't know who you are, let's give a little bit of background about who you are, what you do and, and uh, go from there. Sure. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I like to say, I'm, I'm a connoisseur of experiences Mm. And I, I really try to model my life based around what I call adventures. And uh, we can get into that a little bit more, but essentially re- really creating experiences that, that provide curiosity and possibility. That, that, the, the, that's, what I, that's what I seek out, um, whether it's in relationships, um, experiences with my kids, with my wife, by myself. Um, it doesn't have to be you climbing Mount Everest. It literally means I remember when my kids were even younger. So mine are, I have three kids, uh, 10, eight, and five. Um, when my youngest was like two, we would walk a mile. Like it was like, all right, what I have the kids because my wife was at work. Let's go do something. So, oh, we're going on an adventure. What are we doing? Oh, we're going to walk a mile to the grocery store to get a loaf of Cuban bread and pick something else up. And then we'd walk back and everybody would walk, even my two-year-old. Mm. So, you know, we just knocked out two miles there, talking, playing, looking at all this stuff, the iguanas along the way, the birds, yeah. and then figure out how to cross the street with three kids and not get run over. And then go over there. The reward was a loaf of bread. We would buy two, one for the way and one for the house, right? So we'd be eating a whole loaf on the way back and then we'd have one for the house and that was it. And they still remember it. We still talk about it. We still do it every, on occasion. Not as, not as much, but it's those opportunities that, Oh, how do you create these memories? How do you create these experiences that not only enrich, but teach and provide uh, um, an opportunity for, for us to connect. And so, that always to say connoisseur of experiences <laughs> um, by, by training. I am a physical therapist, uh, strength coach, and um, I call it legacy coach, but I, I do a lot of coaching work as well. So um, the mindset, the brain set, um, which is very different and uh, how to optimize people's lives from pain and from, and for performance. I love that. I love the idea of a connoisseur of experiences because uh, so many of us get seduced by career, success, money, um, this, that, or whatever. But the when you look back on it all, what all you're going to have is experience. All you're going to have is your memories. My my father often says that. You know, can't take away our memories. You know, <laughs> usually it was after he's you know he's got the credit card out and he's paying for some extravagant uh, meal or this. He's like, <clears throat> well, at least they can't take away our memories. Might lose it all. <laughs> Might lose all our money, but they can't take away our memories. There's right. truth to that, though. I mean, there's your life is a, a you know collection of your right. memories, good or bad. Right. 
It's a wealth. Um, it's a wealth of experiences and memory. Like that's where the wealth comes, right? right? In in those in those memories and those experiences, and and the ripple effect of what that has, right? So it's not just that moment and being able to tap back into it, but also going forward, what that creates, right? So mm. that experience of me walking with my three kids, what does that set in motion for them in the future of their life and how they interact? with other people, how they interact with their kids in the future, right? So it's uh, not just the back, but the going forward as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I think about that often sometimes. You can almost trip out a little bit to think about how much um, our experience right now has that ripple effect in generations to come, like a reverberation of who you are and the, you know, the, the values that you create here. Because um, I've mentioned this before, but I did a call with um, – a gentleman by the name of David McElvaney. He wrote a book called Intention, uh, uh, Intentional Legacy, I think it was. And um, it's a book about uh, generational wealth and how to pass down generational wealth. But most of the book was about, surprisingly, not finances, but about personality, about psychology, about people and how to deal with people that ultimately will manage the money. But anyway, he tells a story of how one uh, generations ago, there was... Uh, one criminal, and and this is documented, they have a lineage of how that one criminal now has spawned, like within two to three generations, 300 criminals, and that they're all struggling in jail, this, that, whatever. And then they also documented, um, I think it was, uh, it was either a business leader or a politician or somebody in a position of authority that was respected and revered, and, and how that person has spawned approximately 300 CEOs and politicians and leaders and, you know, nonprofit uh, organizers. And it's amazing how that reverberate. We don't think about that. I don't think enough. We're just right. kind of, we kind of just coast in this life and, and not necessarily think about the ramifications of our actions in the here and now. So, you know, three generations from now, you're going to have little kids walking all over the place down in Florida. <laughs> taking all these little adventures, getting bread. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the mind versus the brain. What do you mean by that? Sure. Um, everyone talks about mindset, right? And I, here's, here's, here's what often gets left out of that conversation. Having the proper mindset is important, but mindset assumes that you're in your human mind. So we have, let, let's, let's kind of break this down and then I'm going to get into actual brain set. But uh, we have essentially three brains. At our core, our most primitive brain is our reptilian brain. Okay, that's responsible for keeping us alive. It's the fight, flight, or freeze. It's the procreation. It's the keep us alive, keep us um, generating more generations to come. Like that's that brain. That's what it's responsible. Then you have what's called the mammalian brain which is responsible for tribalism. It's responsible for interaction. You know, that person gave you that side eye. What does that really mean? Is that person out to harm me? Like, are they thinking bad about me? What did I do? Do I look weird? Like that self-consciousness around other people. <clears throat> that mammalian one has that community component that is still not all the way primal, but it's still not our human mind. And then you have our neocortex or our new brain, which is the human mind. That's where we can now start creating stuff. That's where we can start 
um, self-actualizing and projecting forward into the future. But as uh, one of my mentors say, you don't get to meet the human until you feed the animals. And mm. so if you are so much under threat, if you are so um, stressed out that you have to downshift into survival mode mentally, you don't have the privilege of getting that uh, projecting, that, that fuel forward thinking. And that's actually one of the benefits of coaching, right? You get to borrow your coach's prefrontal cortex because if you're so far in there, you have somebody there to help kind of reach out and help you walk yourself out of there mm-hmm. and help you look towards the future in some way, shape, or form. Um, one, of, one of the analogies that I find useful is if someone is drowning, that is not the appropriate time to try to teach them to swim, right? That is not the appropriate time to try to teach them that, hey, um, you shouldn't be afraid of the water mm-hmm. because they're drowning. They are actually dying, okay? The same thing happens when people are like, oh, this person can't I'll give you an example because it's a, it's a simple one, losing weight. Uh, oh, that person just has to do it. They got to man up and do it, or they just got to suck it up and just do it. Yeah. In some instances, yes. In many instances, there's so many other factors that don't let them get to that point where just doing it is an actual option. Mm-hmm. So what, what needs to happen is the person that was drowning, you got to get them into to the boat or onto safe land. Now they got to feel like, okay, I'm safe. Once they feel safe, now they can start looking around, right? Because remember, if you're under the water, you're not thinking about the bill you got to pay. You're not thinking about the, the meal you got to cook or that you got to put on gas, you put gas in the car or that you have a wedding in two weeks. What are you thinking about? Getting to the surface. Water. Yep. Yeah, right. When you're safe, they took you out of the water. You know that you're alive, you're safe, you, take, you can take a deep breath, you look around, and now you can see more. You now all, you're not just focused on trying to get to break the surface of the water, you can look around. And as you feel more and more confident, you can start exploring a little bit more. But that basically kind of takes you on the path. When you're in full threat mode, you're drowning. You can only focus on what's straight ahead survival. When, what, what would be an, a practical example of that for somebody that is losing weight? Um, what would be the, the analogous uh, sure. of, of them struggling to get above water? Okay. Um, I have a lady that walks in. She's overweight. I am committed to losing weight. I've done this so many times. I'm so healthy. I feel so bad. Okay, great. What is it that you're going to commit to doing? Oh, I'm going to work out. These days, I'm going to eat in this way. Great. This is important to you. Yeah, it's the most important thing for me right now. Wonderful. Three days later, she finds out her husband is cheating on her. Okay? Do you think that losing weight is the, mo- the thing that's most on top of mind right now? No. no. Right? What's more important to her? Figuring out what the heck is going on with her relationship and her marriage or losing an extra 20 pounds? Right. Especially if it was a shock, right? Like you're saying, oh, you know, they haven't slept in the same room for, for, for a decade 
and they barely talk to each other, maybe it's not that big of a surprise. But all of a sudden you think everything is good and this happens, it's crushing, yes. right? You're drowning at that point. Yep. You're trying to figure out things. So do you say, oh, she's just not committed to her weight loss? Well, yeah, there's other things more important at that point. Mm -hmm. So is there a way at this point that you, if you're helping her lose weight, can help her bridge the gap so that it doesn't have to be an either or. Now it's like, okay, this is obviously important to you. Is there something that you can do right now to walk you down a little bit further? So maybe it's not working out two hours a day. Maybe it's just, hey, how about we sit down and breathe for a second? Mm -hmm. When was the last time you sat down and breathed that you didn't feel overwhelmed and feel like stressed out? Mm -hmm. Let's start there. How about we take a walk and we breathe some more? Let's have a conversation. Okay, great. Now we're walking. Now we're moving. Now there's endorphins flowing. Now she's feeling a little bit better. It doesn't fix the problem that she has with her husband. Mm -hmm. But you were able to go from survival, I can't think of anything else, to look, I'm becoming more present. I have more oxygen. I feel a little bit better about myself. Okay. How can we think about this a little bit uh, in a way that's going to serve me long-term? Mm -hmm. Now we're walking somebody down that. It makes, that sense. makes sense. I can, yeah, it totally does. I can see the, the, the analogy to somebody emotionally drowning to breathing, getting back on solid ground uh, so that they can take the next step literally and, and uh, figuratively. Um, but most people, not most people, but a lot of people are not necessarily in that kind of dire straits. I have found that, you know, somebody who's trying to lose weight, for example, right, using this, going on this thread, um, they may not be in a situation where their life is in total breakdown. But, but at the same time, they're still trying to lose weight. They're still trying to, um, you know, be healthier. Um, and they just have a hard time losing the weight. And I do often hear, like you said, move more, eat less. You know, that's what I hear. It's, it's not rocket science, calorie intake, mm -hmm. calorie ins, calorie outs. Like, and I get it. And I think everybody quote unquote gets it intellectually. And yet so many people are still overweight. And that to me is where what you're talking about really comes into play because there's a, there's an irrational reason why people overeat. And that is the, is, is, is the uh, drowning metaphor. I think even if somebody's life doesn't look like it's totally falling apart, right. there is, there's, you know, there's many people that eat to uh, as a protective measure, as a defensive measure, women who, uh, who have been, you know, taken advantage of sometimes will eat to be less attractive. Um, right. My um, father ate because he was dealing with um, being in the closet and that was an outlet for him. You know, um, there's a lot of reasons why people eat that if you just told those people move more, eat less, you're not really dealing with the, the root of the problem. Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, to your point, the, the, I think it's a real big disservice to say eat less, move more, because first of all, it's not sustainable. There's a point where that doesn't it, like that, that math equation stops making sense because you can only move so much and you can only eat so little before the diminishing returns really start paying, like be, playing a bigger role. Mm -hmm. And um, so in that particular case, 
is again meeting the person where they are like what is what is really the thing the thing isn't losing the weight it's all the pro- broken promises where they're like oh i'm not worthy i am yeah. not you know every t- like this is this is this is where it goes I, I set out to do something i miss every time i do something i don't I, i'm not successful mm-hmm. really is that is that is that an actual true statement I can see over here you've been really successful. Over here you've been really successful. Over here you've been really successful. But it, this one area, you haven't. There's a pattern that you go to that you haven't broken that pattern. So it's not that you're successful. You're just really successful at this pattern. What you haven't been is successful at breaking this pattern. Right. So the, question, the better question is, is how, do we get, how, do we, how do we institute a better pattern to serve you in the way that you want? Because everything that we do is for self-preservation. So if you're going to drink to make you forget, we can both agree that that's probably long-term not healthy. But right. if you're trying to avoid thinking of something, it's a good short-term strategy. It's not a healthy one. It's not one that's going to serve you long-term because you haven't dealt with the problem. Yeah. But if what you want to do is not deal with the problem, it's a solution, Right. right? It's a solution you have. So is there a better solution that you're willing to entertain? And then we can go down that path. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting and super helpful to have somebody else uh, who's not connected to, to the whirlwind of emotions and experience that somebody might be going through to provide that uh, unbiased clarity. I remember talking to you actually a couple of years ago and you were talking about um, even, even, masterpiece artists need a coach. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And you're like, because you can't paint yourself. You, you know, you can't, the masterpiece can't paint his own masterpiece without, ha- I think you were, you talked about the frame. Do you remember yes. that metaphor? Yeah. 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 So, right. You can't see the picture when you're in the frame. That, that's, that's the, that's- the metaphors <laughs> and, and, and what it is. Right. I mean, look, and with anything, I think the distinction, and and I think this is so that people understand the difference. We've lived, depending who you believe, for thousands, millions, whatever, however many years the the humans have been on on this. We've got we've survived without coaches. You don't need a coach to survive. Coaching comes to help bring speed, and to help thriving, mm-hmm. right? So if where you want to move from is into thriving and you want to do that faster, a coach can help you there. Mm-hmm. It's not there to help. Like, it's a luxury. It is not a necessity. Though, in some instances, you could look at it as a necessity. But in all honesty, you're probably going to be okay. You're not going to die if you don't have a coach. You'll figure it out enough that you're not going to die. But the question mm-hmm. is, is that the kind of life you want to live? Right. Just getting by or not just dying? Does yeah. that... You, you see, do you see the the difference there? At least that's yeah. that, that's my the way I look at it. Yeah, totally. No, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I want to go back to what you were talking about being a connoisseur of experiences. I love that idea. What are some of the most uh, memorable experiences that you've been able to create so far in your? portfolio of experiences and while you're thinking of that i'm go- like a huge rain cloud just moved in and it became suddenly super dark in here let me turn a light on so you can see me just a second okay
That looks. Is that is that like a sheet behind you? Uh, don't give up my secrets. Yeah, this is my. Uh, this is okay. my. Uh, okay. Break. No, because because <laughs> it was going like this, and I'm like, yeah, my eyes going crazy. On me. Like, this is warping. Yeah. Anyway, welcome into. Yeah, it's the. Yeah. <laughs> okay sorry about that <laughs> i was like no it's all good it, you know but this is uh i it's it's better to look at that than just a plain old back uh wall that i have it behind it right now i got so, you yeah. i got the same thing i got this back here yeah so um oh connoisseur experience uh what's that kind of like scrapbook looking at there, there are actually quite a few so looking back where where this became a thing is uh, because of my father, my father and I used to do everything. Like my father was my best friend. Like I would say it wasn't that he was my best friend because I was like that awkward kid that nobody liked. And I was all by myself. I had plenty of friends, but when I say he, he was my best friend, yeah. it's because he was the one I trusted the most. And it's the one I spent the most time. We would train together, go on different adventures together. We built a half pipe in my backyard no way. Uh, and, you know, back in the day when I, you know, rollerblading, I didn't do skateboarding, I rollerbladed. And he tried to learn how to do it too. And I taught him and he went face first down and like completely, I still remember to like his whole bloody face. My, oh, no. my, my mom wasn't happy that we had it in the first place. So when he got up and his face was bloody, he goes, you think your mom's going to notice? I was like, yeah, she's going to notice half your face is peeled off. Oh, man. Um, so it started with this idea that, or, or this experience with my father, that all these experiences that I had with him, I remember as a kid thinking, I want to do that with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, my wedding day was amazing. Like I, like it, it, it was such a, a beautiful experience for me. Uh, my wife looked amazing. The the whole the whole church, the all the people there. Um, at the church, it was like such a dynamic. We had a, a band playing. There were so many people singing throughout the mass. It, it was just such a rich experiences for all our senses and for, for what it was. That's another one that really stands out. Um, you know, the first time I, I got to take my, my oldest on a, on a, on a camping trip, that was really cool. Um, and then two years ago, we took the entire family and my now five-year-old was three. We went and hiked just a, a part of the Appalachian trail. And we all went backcountry camping, mm. all five of us. Well, wow. And that was amazing. Like to me, that was amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, I would say like one of the big ones uh, fairly recent last November was running the hundred miler. I yeah, ran my yeah. first hundred miler and that completely shifted my mind into what like how much pain the human body is able to take and then what's possible I, I i think i had started telling you the story about you know at mile like 27 i felt like i was being stabbed in my quads every time i took a step and i still had more than 70 miles to go let, let me race. take let's let's take a step back for just a second. So uh, this is a hundred. Is it a race? Is it a yeah? Just a, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's and a it's a hundred mile race. Hundred mile race. Where is it at? Like from where to where do you run? It's a this one was in Alabama in the mountains in Alabama and it was a point to point. 
So you started in one city, you went through the trails in the mountains. I mean, it was 90, I think it was, it was, it was 92 miles. It was 92 miles on single track trail, four miles on uh, like dirt roads. And then the last four miles on, on pavement. Cause you finished on a high school track. So, wow. And so, and then uh, for the listeners, this is something that you're running continuously. You're not stopping. You're not, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, stop or something. But are you sleeping? Is this over the course of several days? No, no. This is over the course of. My goal was to do it under 24 hours. This was the first time doing it. Um, having my quads go crazy on me, uh, it took me t- almost 20. It was 28 hours and 58 minutes, so almost 29 hours. Wow. Um, but yeah, no sleeping. No sleeping, just keep plodding along, yeah. <laughs> running, strolling, crawling, whatever you can do to keep progressing. Yeah, that's so crazy. So, I, okay, so you start going into it. You're, you're feeling, I guess, pretty good for the first marathon. Right. Uh, and then... And then, yeah, and then, it, you know, and it's funny that you say that. You're like, wait, you just did the first marathon. You have basically uh, four, three more to go, essentially. And, yeah, but you don't think about it like that. Like I never thought when I was at mile 27 that it was like, oh, that is, I still have 70 to go. Like yeah. I made, I made, I had the awareness of that, but I wasn't thinking the 70, I was thinking, you know, in five miles, I get the next, I get the next uh, aid station where I can fill up, get some water, see some more people and then be on to the next one where mm-hmm. it's seven miles away. And, you know, it's, it, it fluctuated between five and seven miles usually. Gotcha. So, so I broke down the race into that. So you, uh, you hit, so what, what mile was it when your quad started to go out? 27, 28, somewhere on there. And, uh, and then what happened there? How, how do you endure another 70 miles essentially with a shock mm, quad? I, I, I said to myself, I want to enjoy this. So whenever I found myself in pain, which was mm. <laughs> the next 70 miles, <laughs> um, I would try to really look around and see the beauty all around me. Like, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but I mean, I'm running in the mountains and the trails. There's a lot of beauty out there. So I just try to focus on that. And what I found that there were, it was, it was such a weird feeling. It took about a minute to two minutes before I would almost go numb. Mm. So in other words, you had to be willing to get, go through stabbing, and intense pain for a minute to two minutes. And then the pain just numbed your body. Like it would, it would feel like your whole body was in pain, but it was like a numbing as opposed to a stabbing. And then that would continue until I stopped and then I would have to start again. So it was kind of a catch 22. You can kind of stop and rest, but every time you stop, it means you have to start again, which means you got to endure the stabbing for a minute to two minutes and then get to numb like a numbing pain. Gotcha. When, when you say numbing, do you mean, because uh, I've experienced something similar like that where you still are feeling the pain, but you almost disassociate from it. It's yes. almost like, okay, it's, I got it. it. It hurts, but that's uh, your center of gravity is with who you are and, and I'm not that pain and I'm focused now on the next target and I'm looking around. Yes, yes. It's very much like that. It was like, the reason I say numbing is that you felt the pain, but the pain went from a focal stabbing through, through, uh, through the quads to an overall body ache. 
where like your whole body was hurting, but it was a different one. It was, it was, it was the lesser of the two evils. Let's just call it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. So, so was that really the, the shift in your mindset to, to endure well, the next 70 miles? Well, after finishing it and, and here, here's where the shift came that I realized when I finished. Um, once I finished, I mean, there was a flood of emotion because there's also the, like anything can happen. You've been out here for so long. Like, you know, like you have the conviction that you're going to finish, but anything could happen. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a point where I thought I was not going to make it. Um, Cause each time you get to an aid station, there are cutoff. So if you don't make it by a certain time, they don't let you continue. And in my mind, uh. I had this idea that I had to make it to this particular aid station at that time. And I remember my wife at some point jumped in and started running with me. This was mm. towards the end. And I left her. Like I outran her fresh and I had been going for 80 some miles as if I hadn't been running. Like I got this burst of energy and I ran up the mountain and I let, like she couldn't keep up. Oh, wow. And when I got there, I ran to the, to the lady and I was like, did I make it? did I make it? And she goes, yeah, you're here. Good job. And I go, uh, but like, did I make it in time? She goes, oh yeah, you still got another half an hour. I was like, like there was like this relief, but such a emotional body and brain dump, like being okay with that. But it was, it it was like crushing to think that you didn't make it and then you did. And so now I was like, okay, well I still have another, another, at that point it was a mile, it was at mile 94. It was 94. So I had six miles to go. So that was the last one before I got to go to the, to the finish line. Yeah. So I had a six miles to go and I was like, okay, right, great. I made it. So I took a deep breath. My wife caught up, you know, I changed my clothes real quick, mentally got ready and then finished it off. And it was a great experience because my 10 year old, I, I wanted him to come to the race because I wanted him to see that. And there had been times that, well, we'll go out for a run. And there was this one time that he, he was crying cause he was, he had a cramp and he couldn't go. Like he said, he couldn't go on. I said, okay, take a deep breath. It's okay that you hurt. It's okay that you cry. Take a deep breath. We'll get some water. So we walked to where the water, the water fountain was. And I told him to take a deep breath. And I said, okay, you ready to start walking back? And he said, yeah. And so he started walking his, his whole affect changed after he drank some water. He was more calm. I said, do you think you can run just, just a little? And he was, yeah, I'll try it. So he started running and running and running. And then as we were, we got out of the park, out of the trails and into our block, um, he starts sprinting and i and we finished. And I said, I want you to remember this day. I said, look at what happened. You went from thinking you couldn't do it to crying, to breaking down, to then regrouping, to running. And now you finish sprinting. And I said, I want you to remember this. And then I told him, I said, when I run my 100 miler, there's a good chance that I'm going to go through the same exact thing. So when you see me crying or you see me walking that I don't think I can go further, remind me of this day because I'm going to need it. Yeah. And so... I wanted him there to see not just when I feel good, but when I'm crushed, like, you know, when I'm not feeling good, I wanted him to see that and say, 
oh, he was able to overcome that. Yeah. And when I was crossing the line, I had that emotional dump of saying I did it. But then immediately right after the two thoughts that came to my mind were, I can do this faster and I can run 200 and 300 miles. Like those were the two thoughts that I had. And that was mind blowing to me. That, that is <laughs> mind blowing. Oh my gosh. I, w- w- you shared that little bit with me the other day when we were talking and the thing that came to my mind is like, how cool is it to know that you're kind of a badass? Like, and I, and I don't mean from me saying that to you, I mean, you receiving that because you just did a hundred miles and you never know. You don't know until you're truly tested about something, but to, to cross the finish line and to know there's more within me, I can go another hundred miles and I can do this faster. Like, do, you know, do you kind of like put your chest up a little bit and you're like, right. I'm kind of a bad. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I didn't know it, you know. Now you know. Like now you know, you got you have you have some deep reserves, man, to tap into. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of cool. Yeah. So uh, those are some of the experiences that 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 I've that I have in my scrapbook of uh, of experiences. <laughs> yeah. And did your did your boy get to exp- how much of that did he get to experience? Did oh, the whole the whole race. He was part of the crew. Okay. So wow. I had a friend, my wife, my dad, and then him. So he was in it all. And then one of the parts that I was looking forward to finish it on the track, I got to finish I with him running. He ran the track with me oh, and my cool. wife. So the three of us got to cross the line together. To me, that meant the world. That is, oh my gosh, that is so cool. Tell, um, tell the listeners what kind of toll it takes on your crew, not just on the day of the race, but look, all the way leading up to and how much sacrifice that takes to do something like this. Yeah. That was one thing that I didn't account for. You know, I trained for me. I did all that stuff that I needed to do to prepare. And even then I don't think it was, it was enough. Hence my quads being the way they were. Um, But what I didn't count on was the effect that it would take on the crew because I'm the one that signed up for the race. I'm the one that signed up to, I knew that I was not going to get sleep. I knew that I was going to be running and in pain but they didn't, they didn't sign up for that. So for them, they were up just as long as I was, except they didn't get any benefits. They didn't get the belt buckle. They didn't get the congratulations. They didn't get the people understanding that they're exhausted. You know, yes, they expect me. I ran a hundred miles and I didn't sleep. Yeah. Oh, this guy, I could see why he's tired. But you didn't run the race. Why are you tired? Well, they've been up just as much and worse because they're worrying. There's a lot of times where they're sitting and waiting and wondering what the heck happened to me. Mm. I mean, that is exhausting. Like not knowing is exhausting. Like I know where I'm at and I can deal with that. But the not knowing where your person is and you're talking about, you're not talking about roads. You're talking about the wild where you're on trail that's three feet and you know you take the wrong step you're falling off the side of a mountain that kind of right this isn't just like manicured like disney world roads this is you're in the wild you're running through national single track trail national park single track trails that you're on mountains so you fall you fall i fell twice i fell twice that i almost fell off it happened really? in like worse, like mile 55, from 50 to 55, 
my quads were super unstable. There were so many rocks. Um, and I stepped wrong and my legs gave out. Right. And my leg, my, it was my right side. My right leg and my right hand fell off the edge. And luckily I grabbed with my left. It did that twice Ooh. in the pitch. Like in the, I mean, I had a light. And then worse, it was a, the, the headlamp that, I, that they gave me. My, I had several of them. The one that I grabbed and I put in my bag was the rechargeable one, which I hadn't charged from my training runs from when I was here. Mm. And I kept thinking, I can't put this on the highest setting because if the light dies, I cannot see anything. Oh so I had it at the lowest setting so that it was dim. My legs were shaky and whatever. The point is, is that they, they suffered, I think, more than I did because of the unknowns. I knew everything that was happening because it was happening to me. Yeah. How, how far, uh, how high up were you on some of those points? It, it wasn't altitude like if you're going to Colorado, it's Alabama. So you're, you're going at most maybe, I mean, maybe 4,000, 5,000 feet. It's, it's, I mean, it's up there, but it's not anything grand. But I mean, when, when, you're, when you said you almost fell off, like how far a cliff are you talking about? It was, it was if you just imagine this, imagine like a pyramid, just, just for a visual. And you cut somewhere on the wall three feet in, and that's the trail. Right. So I would have fallen. I would have gone down like that thing. I mean, it would have been. It wasn't a cliff that it's certain death. But sure. I'm rolling down. Who knows what I'm hitting? What I'm falling? This pitch black. The point is, I didn't want to fall there, so I grabbed on. <laughs> yeah, you want to stay on the trail. <laughs> um, man. Yeah, that's that's totally different than being on a road for 100 miles. I mean, that being on a road for 100 miles is hard enough, but yeah. to be in the dark, dodging rocks with quads that are shot yeah that's intense man <laughs> why do you do it um running has always been a way of me peeling back the layers it's my litmus test of mental emotional and physical toughness like it helps me get into a place of simplicity like there's to me there's nothing more um, simplistic than running, like more primal than that. And so to be there and get each layer stripped away, like talk about being in survival mode for 70 miles, trying to figure out how to deal with pain. Like I wasn't thinking about what I was going to do next week. I wasn't thinking about my next meal. I was thinking about the next step. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how to relax my body so that I can continue going and make it to the next aid station. I was thinking about, oh, let me let me get a little bit more water so I don't get dehydrated. I peed a lot, by the way. I peed like seventy six times. I yeah, counted somewhere around there seventy eight times, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I peed a lot. I peed a lot. Do you do you stop and do that, or you just do it while you're running? No, no, yeah, I stopped. Luckily, okay. again, you're, the nice thing is that you're in the trail, so you, you know you're not in the middle of a road. Good stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I was running a hundred miles, I'd I'd be taking a lot of breaks. A lot of breaks. <laughs> <laughs> good, excuse, good excuse to relax for a second. Uh, and what are you eating along the way? Gels and stuff or? Um, I started off eating a lot of the, um, I didn't like, I don't like the gels, but you're not going that fast. So you can eat in an ultra marathon completely different than if you're doing a marathon or a 5k or a 10k. Yeah. Um, 
you can eat more solid food. So I started with like gel, um, like the little gummies that are like gel shots, but they're like gummy bears. Yeah. But then after a while, that was just so sweet. Um, they had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Talk about nostalgia. Yeah. Peanut butter, jelly sandwiches, soup. They had all this like ramen soup. So especially at nighttime when the weather starts dropping, they had soup. So drinking soup. Um, we had cooked steak the night before. And, you know, one of the stops, like they gave me some steak. And they had a grilled cheese on one of them. Uh, oh, I still have the, like, the the feeling of, of eating this. <laughs> yes. As the sun rose, when the sun rose, I the, the aid station that I got to, there was 15 miles left. And these people had, it was a, like, um, it was a sandwich with eggs, like a, like a bacon egg and like a bacon egg and cheese sandwich that they mm. made fresh. Mm. And I remember taking a bite of that and I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> this is the best thing ever. <laughs> Who so, was, I, what's that? I forget the guy's name, the ultra marathon guy. Uh, who uh, Dean Carnassus probably is the one you're saying I'm not sure who was but he he told the story of how like he would start going running on a Friday night and his family would go to bed or whatever I think I'm making some of this up but his family go to bed and then the next morning they'd wake up and drive out to where he'd be and meet him with like a pizza or something so he'd be running eating yeah the guy you're talking about is Dean Carnassus and what he would say is like he would run through the night and then he, he'd know where he's going to be. And he, so he'd call a pizza delivery guy <laughs> Yeah, that's it. to have a pizza delivered at this point. And there's like, but is that a house? He's like, no, I'm going to be there. I'm running. I'll meet up with you there. And so he'd pay and he'd roll up the entire pizza into like a massive burrito and he'd eat the whole thing. <laughs> oh so that's funny. That's uh, quite a, quite a deposit you have to make to, take the credit out of eating a huge pizza and, and <laughs> <Yeah. healthy. laughs> oh man um you mentioned a little while ago about a mentor who's your mentor so my first and foremost my mentor you know my parents my parents have always been the ones that established my values um you know my 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 love for family my you know the, the things that that matter most that i guess shape um but it was maybe what is it five so my son is five so almost five and probably five and a half six years ago i fell into like this i'm not gonna say midlife crisis but i an identity crisis where i fell into a deep depression Hmm. and it was like a really big turning point in my life like those crossroad moments in your life my wife was pregnant with our third um, from the outside, our business was successful. Uh, our fitness and physical therapy studio in, in, in Miami was great. We were helping and serving a lot of people. You know, my wife and I had a great relationship. We had a nice house. So from the outside, everything looked good. Who was I to complain? Like, it wasn't that I needed more, but something felt off. I felt like there was more that I was meant to do. Mm-hmm. It seems kind of weird because I'm helping people, but there was something missing and I didn't know what it was. And it really drove me in a dark place. Um, around that time, I had connected with, with 
with a mentor of mine. And I met this mentor at a, at a conference. We were both speaking. He spoke. I said, like, I need to be around this guy. And he gave some, some lectures out in, in the UK. He's from there. His name is Dax, Dax Moyne. And I went out over there. And after he, he did some, some courses out there and I did it with him, I said, listen, this is awesome. Um, but I'm not flying over here anymore. So um, I'll host you. You come and fly down and we'll, we'll create courses down here and we can start, I'll start hosting you. And so for the course of like five or six years prior, prior to that, like I would host him. We'd have conversations that built a friendship. Um, and so when I went through this period, he had reached out to me and he had noticed that I was kind of struggling and he said, listen, I'm, I'm running a retreat in Thailand. I think it could really help you out based off what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I remember like my wife is not like her, her usual answer to most things is first. No, she, she has to process it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually she'll say yes or no based off her processing. But the first thing is no. Yeah. But when I told her, I said, look, this is what it is. She said, do you think it'll help you? get out of this funk. She was really concerned. You know, I was bankrupting the business. Um, I was not present. I was like sleeping six, six hours in the day, like in the middle of the day, like when I should have been working, I was pushing away clients. Not because we had an abundance, but because I physically and mentally couldn't deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted, like the sensation was I wanted to burn everything down and just start from me. Mm-hmm. Not because I disliked it. It was just, it was, it was a me thing. Like it was, there was something wrong with me. Yeah. And, um, I went over to Thailand. Oh, sorry. She said, do you think that this can help? And I said, yeah, I really do. And she goes, well, then you need to do this not just for you, but for us. Mm. She goes, because this baby's coming and I need you to be here for us, for you. I need you to be present. I need you to be the man, the husband, the father that I know that you can be, but I don't know how to help you anymore. Mm. So if this is what you think you need to do, you need to go over there. And I say that this is one of the greatest acts of courage um, I experienced because for for her to say that, I know that it was very difficult. Yeah. Add on top of that, that the retreat was during the time that the baby could have been born. If the baby was born early than his due date, I missed the birth. And she wow. still said yes. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> her doctor, our doctor, was upset with me that I was leaving. <laughs> Um, but my wife understood it. She said, look, I'd rather you miss the birth and not be there for that, but be present and be the man that I know you to be, than be there and be like not present and not be there. And so I went there. I was able to gain the clarity that I needed on like what the heck was going on. I realized that there was nothing wrong with the business. I was just mentally not clear on how I was serving and how that served on a bigger, on on a bigger level. Mm. And then I became apparent that I also wanted to be working with men like myself who were married, who were entrepreneurs and who wanted to make sure that they grew and had a deeper, um, more connected marriage as well and leave an impact, create a legacy that matters. Mm -hmm. So while I was there, I was able to gain the clarity on my current business, but then, understand that part of what I was called to do was to serve on this level. Mm -hmm. Other men 
that are married, that are entrepreneurs and help them create a powerful legacy and create that connection with their, with their spouse and in their business and, and in their health even. Yeah. That is such a, uh, a huge distinction. I went through something similar, not the depression side of it. I mean, I've had my own uh, ups and downs as any human being has, but um, that, that distinction of who I'm serving versus what do you do? There's so much um, in our common day lexicon of what do you do? What's your purpose? And, and how do you do it? And, and there's so much energy behind the what. Right. And I think a lot of people get really sidetracked on, oh, I want to build my own blah, blah, blah. I want to create financial freedom to do this or whatever. And they forget that huge piece that you're talking about right now, which is who you're actually doing it for, because those are the people you're going to interact with right. on a day in day out basis. And if you're, and if you build a business or if you ha- you're in a job where you're around people that you're just not, you're not inspired by, they don't challenge you, they don't push you, they don't, you know, they're, they're not fun. Um, yeah, life can be yeah. a total drag. <laughs> I mean, right. So yeah, that distinction is a huge one. I, I hope people who are listening to this uh, think about that because it's, it's key to the quality of your life. And I think one of the, the bigger, one of the things that really stood out that I felt that there was that tug of war, which is, and maybe, you know, as, as somebody that's listening, you can maybe relate is, am I, am I worthy of this feeling, right? Like from the outside, everything looked good. Like who was I to complain that I wanted more? And again, it wasn't that I wanted a bigger house or a Bentley or a, a boat or a this, it was I felt like there was a higher calling that I wasn't tapping into yet. And it right. really, and so part of me was, was struggling with the fact that who can I tell, who can I have this conversation? Because it doesn't make, it doesn't make logical sense. Right. Logically, you have a great life. Like, don't like, what, what's your problem? And so I had this, this, this tug of war with myself of like, being feeling guilty for wanting to serve more because that's what I want. I wanted to serve on a deeper level. And, and part of it, I wasn't clear on how I was serving. Like now my wife and I are like crystal clear on our physical therapy and our fitness business on how we're able to like deeply impact the lives of people because we, we have a gift in being able to help people eliminate pain and optimize their health, mm-hmm. like virtually and in person. That's been one of the big, big things. But then also understanding, oh wait, but there's this other component where I can help men, fathers, just like myself, create a legacy that matters and really go deep into the family so that that has a ripple effect of strong families, build strong communities, which build strong, you know, towns and cities and states and countries at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. It's that ripple effect. So to me, it was important to, to speak directly to, to the man, right? The women have, have a role, but to me, it was important to speak to the man, to myself. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think is some of the bigger mistakes that men are making today or, or misconceptions that, uh, that end up hurting them that you can help them alleviate? That's a great question. I, I the 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 context of what is the mistake that a man is making 
oftentimes is a frustrating one because it presupposes that, oh, this is the mistake. And what you'll find is that we will have different seasons in our life, right? Um, you know, when your kids are small, it's a different season than when your kids are grown and in college. Um, when you're single, it's a different season than when you're just getting married or after you've been married for 12 years or 10 years. Um, if you're starting a business versus you have a business or if you're working for someone, like they're all different environments. And so I think one of the biggest issues that, that men have is, is this idea that they should be somewhere else, number one, and not appreciating where they are to gain a firm grasp of where they need to go, right? Because in order to get anywhere, you have to have a starting point. Like you have to understand where you're starting from, mm-hmm. to get the directions to where you're going. If you're going to go to Disney World from your house, you know that the starting point is from your house, not my house. Because if you follow the direction from my house, you're not going to get there from your house. Right. Right. So I think it's not having that realization of being very clear of where you're actually starting from and being okay with that because that's the starting point. That's not the ending point. And that way you can figure out the direction you need to take in yeah. order to move in that, in that way. Does that make sense? It totally does. It's hard to do that sometimes. I mean, as I'm sure you've gone through too, it's, it's hard to look in the mirror and go, I'm depressed. I am miserable. My relationship is fruitless. My uh, health is out of control. It's hard to, to claim home base sometimes, you know what I mean? It's, um, and I think the whole idea of going through seasons is such a valuable piece of wisdom because when you're in the middle of it, when you're drowning, it feels like that's the entire world. It feels like that's the, this is going to be the rest of my life. And, uh, especially when you're younger and you haven't drowned 10 times yet, (laughs) you know, I mean, when you have the the second you have kids, you're like, Oh geez, every day is a freaking survival. You know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to make it to the end of the today. You know, you kind of get used to, it's like the numbing of the, of the quad, you know, you just get to that point where like, uh, I, you know, it's so funny to think about what you thought you would do as a parent and, uh, and then how reality just kicks in. You're like, oh, well, there goes that whole game plan. Let me throw that one out. Right. Um, but at the same time, of course, there's, there's many other openings and kids are great. I love my kids. They're, they're awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's um, I don't know where I was going with that. I guess. Yeah, um, you know, what, one thing to, one thing to, to, to piggyback on, I don't know if you can hear mine in the background. Yes, uh, I can. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> It's summer, it's summer and I got all three of them here. So I hear you. Um, the, the, the starting point is important, but you know, actually in the, in the, in the book and in, in my book, the, the legacy code, what, part of the process is it's a five-step process, right? You have to have awareness of legacy, but legacy is part of understanding what the big vision is for yourself, right? Yeah. So there's an awareness that, that you want to be actively creating a legacy, like yes. purposely creating a legacy. But then the second one is creating that vision. Like what's that, what's, what is it that you're, you're trying to create? If you don't have that, that's essentially like the destination or the destination for right now, right? As um, uh, who, 
who who was it that that said you know if I've seen so far it's because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. I think it was uh, Newton or um, or everything Einstein. gets uh, yeah uh, whatever Einstein but, yeah right. <laughs> Einstein said all these amazing things. Yeah right. But <laughs> essentially that like you don't know what you don't know. So just because you create a vision doesn't mean that you're locked in forever and you can't change that. But it's how far can you see that you'd like to head in that direction. And when you go and you stand on top of that mountain or that hill, you can look a little bit further and then you can see, oh, wait, there's something I didn't even know existed. No. Oh, we, we can go down that route, right? Yeah. But from there you have what, you know, what we call the, the process, or sorry, the, the, the purpose, right? So you have a vision, now you have the engine. What is that thing that's gonna move you? Why is it important to you? And then from there you have the process. This is the how part. The plan. The plan, the process, right. So I think with that one, a lot of times people start there, but they don't have the other two clear. And then a lot of times the plan or that process is too big of steps. Mm -hmm. And so they're too big of a jump for you to be ready. Let me give you the example going back to the drowning, okay? You've just been rescued. It's been a week or two, and now I go up and I say, you know, it's been a week or it's been two weeks since you almost drowned. You know, do you think that in the future you'd like to go to the water again? You say, yes, I'd like to. He says, do you, do you think that it would be helpful if you learned how to swim? Yes, but I'm afraid. Okay, great. First thing is you have to accept the invitation to want to do it and say, okay, great. Let's meet me at the pool and we'll start learning how to swim. Great. Now, what most people do in their process is they would take that person, not, not in real life. What I'm saying is in their life, the way they apply it, and yeah. they would push them into the, the deep end and say, swim. That's what most people's process looks like. So you're already like have a fear of water. You don't know how to do this. And all of a sudden you try to jump in to the deep end and you don't know how to swim. So you're freaking out and now you don't get anywhere except more scared and the hole that you, you keep digging yourself in a hole, essentially. Yeah. The way you do it is you say, okay, you know, how do you feel about sticking your feet in the water? I don't know, I'm still a little afraid. Okay, let's try that. You sit off the edge, you put your feet in the water. Oh, you're safe. Your butt is still on land, your feet is in the water. Okay, I can do that. I don't have a fear of that. I see that I'm not gonna die. Okay, great. How about we stand on the first step? So now you're standing in the water and you're still not drowning. Okay, great, you're okay. Let's walk in till we have our hips in the water. Are you okay with that? All right, let me try. Great, You no issues, right? Or you overcome that until that becomes no issues. Now we go deeper. Let's go to our chest. Wonderful. Now we say, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna walk back so that we're to your chest and you know you can stand up at any time. What I want you to do is, I want you to bring your head under the water. And the second that you feel any, any fear or anything like that, know that you can always stand up. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to try that? Great. In fact, why don't you hold my hand just for extra precaution so you feel extra safe. Wonderful. You do that, you put your head up. And so you, you, you chip it down until the point where 
Now I'm not afraid of the water. I can be in the water and now I can start skill acquisition. Yeah. But skill acquisition can't happen if you're afraid of the water. Right. And that, I mean, I know you're speaking sort of metaphorically, but, um, that transition. So for somebody who's, for example, trying to lose weight and they've tried a million things and it never works to get them to that point where they actually get results to where they believe, Oh, I can do this. They start to see some, you know, incremental results. So for example, in in a practical sense, one of the things that a friend of mine has suggested other people do in their health is keep eating what you're eating. Don't, don't change what you're eating. All I want you to do is add a green smoothie to it. Then I want you to add a salad to it. It's like those are small enough steps that people can go, eh, I can, I can, you know, swallow down a green smoothie. Okay. But when you start to do that and then you get more satiated and your body's not craving the, the chips and the Pringles anymore, you start to slowly you're, get healthier. And then the mind shift starts to go, oh, it, you know, eh, I don't really have to have that today or Man, I have more energy today. And then you're much more apt to take that next step, take the next step, take the next step. And, but that identity shift is like you're saying, you, you can't get the result until you identify with the possibility that it can happen in the first place and that you, or, you know, that you can do it. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I had, I, I'll give you a perfect example where that, that, that applies. I, I had this lady come in um, to our facility and she had tried everything. Same thing, you know, eat less, move more, eat less, move more. She was stressed out. She was overweight, stressed out. And I said, okay, tell me what's been your pattern from the past. Oh, you know, I start and two weeks in, three weeks in, four weeks in, something happens. And then all the work that I've done goes out because the car breaks down, the the kids got sick, I got sick, something something happened. Said, okay, so let's break this down for a second. Here's what I want you to try and do. Are you willing to try what I'm what I'm what I'm gonna what I'm gonna what I'm, what I'm gonna ask of you? Yes. Okay. All I want you to do is walk ten minutes every day in the sun. Okay, and I want you to breathe for ten breaths every time you're gonna eat a meal. Can you do that? Yeah, but. What, like, when do I work out? What do I eat? I said, you can eat whatever you want. You can work out if you like. But as of right now, I don't care if you work out or not. In fact, all I want you to do is just breathe and I want you to walk. I said, in two weeks, come back and see me. Do this every day for two weeks. She came back. She goes, I didn't change my diet. I didn't work out. I breathed and I did the 10 minutes of walking every day and I lost 12 pounds. Wow. What changed? Yeah. What changed? What changed? Um, like I share with a lot, the thing is not the thing. Her, her problem was I got to lose weight. I can't lose weight. I said, no, your problem is not that you can't lose weight. Your problem is you're so stressed out right now that your body is going to hold on to every ounce of fat to protect itself. You have so much judgment on yourself right now wow. that your body is protecting itself. I said, the second we can relax, the body's not free to heal. It doesn't need that. And so all of a sudden she was like, 
talk about a mindset shift. You're like, oh, okay, great. I don't have to starve myself and work myself to the bone. There's another way. Yeah. All of a sudden, she did less work than ever before, felt more energized, and lost actual weight. And she had never done that before with doing wow. so little. And wow. so again, it's understanding what the real thing is. Like when you're peeling back the layers, like that, I mean, that's what I did. I was able to peel back and really understand what really her problem was. Right. Then we were able to address the actual cause and now she was moving in that direction. Yes, is there an opportunity for her to strength train? Yes, that's an important part, but that's not her problem. Her problem isn't that she's in strength training. Her problem isn't that she's in eating salads. Those are skill acquisitions, habit acquisitions that, that we build, but first we have to have the baseline. Yeah. We have to have the brain in the right place, the mind in the right place, so that everything else follows. If you don't do that, you jump the gun and what ends up happening is what happens with most people is you take good two to six weeks, anybody can do it, then life happens and everybody hops off. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Um, uh, totally makes sense. I, just in my own fitness journey, I've, I've noticed that there are times where I'll lose a little bit of weight, albeit, you know, 185 and I'll get down to 178 and and yet I know in my head that, and I've shared this with people before, it's like, I'm not actually, I don't self-identify with 178. I still self-identify at 185 that's visiting 178 land, you know, <laughs> because I feel deprived, you know, because I, I want uh, the chips and salsa and, and I know that that craving is still there. And so it's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm hanging out here. You know, let me look in the mirror. This looks nice. I'll take a quick little selfie. Good. Got that documented. And then it's like, give me the bag of chips. So I, I still have, I, I'm a 185 pounder visiting 178 land for a temporary time. And what you're talking about, and that's why I'm like so animated about it because I've known in my own fitness journey, I used to be close to 200 pounds and I self-identified there. And I had to like, really do the mental work to, to self-identify more at the 185. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm around the 182, 181 mindset identity wise. Right. Um, but that's so true. If you don't, if you don't hit that core identity piece, you're just, that's why people yo-yo diet because right. they're, they still self-identify. It's the same thing too with your, with your bank account. Like you make as the, the amount of money that you feel ultimately you are worth making. Right. And they've done studies of this. Have you, re have you read, uh, I think it's um, T Harvey. What's his name? T uh, I forget his name. The yeah, millionaire uh, mindset. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, is that, is that T Harvey or Stan? Um, I don't remember. I'm drawing a blank. Uh -huh. I know the one you're saying. Um, yeah. Where he talks about the, you know, if you're a hundred thousand dollar a year person, and somehow you get all these bonuses and you make 160, 170 in the next year, the following year you somehow will make only 85 or 90. Like there's an equilibrium that, right. that your mind says always that, which always fascinates me. Um, so anyway, I know we're, I know we're getting a little short on time. You got uh, little kids at home. They're probably wanting some of their dad back. So I get <laughs> it. But um, thanks for taking the time today. Armando, where can people go to find out a little bit more about you and, and your book? What, what was the name of the book again? The Legacy, Legacy Code. Legacy Code. Love that name. Um, 
where can they go to find out more about you or the book? Uh, the, the, you can find the, the book legacycodebook.com would be probably, that's, that's where you'll find the book. It's, it's got a whole synopsis on it. So if you want to find out a little bit more about what it is and it's got other interviews uh, about the book there, I have a whole um, media tour that I did. So, you know, people have a book tour. I decided to do a virtual book tour and uh, hopped on a whole bunch of podcasts. And it was actually pretty fascinating because most of the, most of the interviewers asked me completely different questions. So we went at the book and the concepts of it in so many different angles that, that it's, you're revisiting the same topic from so many different uh, uh, perspectives that it makes it, it gives it like so much more depth that, um, you know, and that's free. So, you know, if you don't want to buy the book and you want to listen to some of that, you can, but the book, you can find it there as well. You can go to armandocruz.com. That's kind of like my hub. And then on Facebook, uh, the Armando Cruz is probably the one that, that I post the most. Excellent. Armando, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day.